I'd ask that you would turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 6. This will be a familiar passage to most, if not all of you. Maybe if I say Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, it doesn't jump to mind, but as soon as we read it, you will likely remember it. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through to 26. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, This is the blessing that Aaron is to bring upon the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we have worshipped you already in song and in the reading of Scripture, as we continue to worship you in the preaching of your Word and in prayer, Lord, we ask that you would bless and keep us that you would make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us, that your countenance would be lifted up upon us and you would give us peace in this place. Quiet our hearts and our souls and our minds. Give us the energy and the strength that is required to worship you well, even in this time. Lord, may you be glorified in the preaching of your word and may you impress it upon our hearts. For it is only by your work that our hearts can be changed. We are incapable of changing ourselves. No matter how hard we pull on our bootstraps, we do not seem to move, O oh Lord. But that is by design, God, and we thank you that you have created us to be totally and utterly dependent upon you for all good things. And we pray that that would be the case this morning, that we would not depend on any other. God, I lift each one who is here to you. I know each one who is here has their own concerns and worries, joys and trials that they are facing in their lives right now. And those things become very large in the face of day-to-day -day life. And they can become large enough that they grow larger in our eyes and our hearts than you are. And in doing so, we idolize even the things that are joys, even the things that are struggles become idols before you, O oh God. And we pray that you would set those things in right perspective that we would not forget about our trials, that we would not forget about the good things that you have given us, but that they would be put in right perspective before you. That those things would grow so much smaller as you grow so much larger in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, there are many things as we come to the end of our summertime that would seek to draw our attention. 
And we thank you for many of them. We thank you that we have the opportunity to engage in a variety of ministries and programs and schooling and whatever it might be. But Lord, may we keep you in your place. For you do not move, but our hearts tend to move and waver to and from you. So Lord, bind us to yourself. Hold us close to you, O Lord. I think particularly of our students as they go back to their schools, whether that be going back to elementary school or junior high or high school, whether that be our homeschooled students who are still at home by going back into their classes. I think particularly of our students that are going back to universities as they are no longer in their families' homes, that you would go with them, that you would guide them and direct them. There are so many decisions and challenges before them. Where would they go? What would they do? What work would they find? What churches would they become a part of? What extracurricular activities will they engage in? What university would they attend? What program? All of these things, Lord. But in their lives, we ask that you would keep your place as first and foremost. And if you haven't been in that place, may you be so now. That their hearts would be bound to you and as they follow the path that your your providence has laid out for them, that their giftings have prepared them for, that they would do so not with a heart of where they can earn money or what even what they are good at, but what they might do that would most glorify you. And that includes the using of their gifts. Lord, even as we came here this morning, we were reminded by the smoke outside that there are many who are not able to worship in their home churches. We think of those who have been displaced by the fires, the many thousands, whether it be in Maui or BC or the Northwest Territories or elsewhere around the world, there are many who have been displaced by wildfires. And we ask that you would be with them, that you would be using your church wherever they have been evacuated to, to care for them and to build them up and to watch over them in their time of need. Not just for the good of these people who have been displaced, but for their good and for your glory that the gospel might be proclaimed in the way that we show love to one another, caring for those who have been displaced, and our love for the world, caring for those who do not yet know you who have been displaced from their homes. We think, too, of the many firefighters and members of the armed forces and otherwise who are working to put out these fires and make safe homes for, for these people. Protect them, O Lord. This year we have seen so many of these first responders be killed in the path of their duties, and we ask that you would be with them and protect them. We ask that you would, particularly for the believers among those ranks, use them to share your gospel even with their brothers in their respective services. And Lord, we, we know that you are sovereign over all things. You send the rain and you withhold the rain and you have 
known this from before eternity. So, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be oriented to continue to glorify you even in the face of what seems like such incredibly difficult and trying circumstances. May you be glorified somehow in the midst of such trial. We think, too, of the many people in our congregation who are experiencing various trials and trials in their families as well. We think of uh, the Giesbrechts with Gus and Eileen. We think of Tony with Tell and Harry. We think of the Nicholas family with Enoch. Lord, you have seen fit to send both sun and rain upon the wicked and the righteous alike. And many in our congregation are experiencing great joy and many are experiencing great trial. And we ask that you would give them the strength to remain faithful to you. Give them the strength to glorify you even in their circumstances. And Lord, if it is your will, we would ask that you would bring resolution to their circumstances that would both glorify you and be a positive outcome in their situations, Lord. And even as we have talked, Lord, there we have all of these ministries restarting or ministries that have been continuing, but every ministry in our church, oh Lord, needs people to be a part of them. And we pray that you would be at work in the hearts of the people of Elk Point Baptist Church to be active in their faith, and in their home church community, that there would be none among us who would passively participate in the life and the work of the church, but that each of us would find a way that we can be actively and heartily involved in our church for your glory. So, Lord, we commit the preaching of the Word into your hands, we thank you for the incredible journey that you have taken us on through the book of Ephesians. This letter of Paul's has been of such great help to us. And as we finish that this morning, we pray that these lessons would not be quickly forgotten. That our hearts might be encouraged and that this blessing that Paul brings at the end of Ephesians would be used even today, to glorify and strengthen your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know how it has been for you, but goodbyes have always been something of a difficult thing for me. It can be little things, something as small as being out in the foyer, kind of standing in one of those circles where a bunch of people are having a conversation. And I've said my piece in the conversation. I'm not really a part of the conversation anymore, but I need to go this way, and I'm still standing in the circles. Do I kind of say, okay, I'm leaving now, or do I just walk away, or what's the, what's the status quo there? Or it could be something as big as saying farewell to a loved one that I've lost, Maybe it's the inherent uncertainty of life. 
But for me, James has always been a great speaker into this for me. In James 4, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. There's a weight to even saying kind of one of our catchphrases, well, I'll see you later. We don't rightly know whether that's true. We don't know whether there will even be a later or if Jesus will return between now and then. So my, my difficulty in saying goodbye, maybe, I don't know if difficulty is the right word, my kind of fixation on this whole saying of goodbyes um, has poured it over into my family life too, and I think mostly in helpful ways. It's made me think long and hard about the way that I leave my family at any given time. Whether the situation is hectic or peaceful, whether it is spontaneous or planned, whether it's emotionally negative and we're all frustrated or it's positive and we're all in a good mood, I always do my best to try and leave my family well. When I leave for work, I tend to cycle through my whole family probably more than once with hugs and goodbyes. By the time I get to Sherry and all the kids, the first kid and Sherry want another goodbye and it's two or three times before I actually, as I kind of get closer to the door, and then as they're all kind of plastered against the screen door on the way out, I kind of wave and yell goodbye, and that's usually the end of it. But even when, like, a fire call comes in and I have to leave, like, right now, and I'm on my way out the door, all of my kids and Sherry know it's like, okay, quick, say goodbye to Daddy, and it's like a quick goodbye, hug and a kiss on the way out. And even going to bed, which is a kind of goodbye, there's a great burden on my heart that things are ended, that the last words that are spoken to one another are spoken in love and spoken well. And if that isn't done, it tends to cause me great frustration. And after some soul-searching, I think that that is why I so love the many benedictions of Scripture. It's why I tend to settle on a primary benediction for an entire preaching series. I have heard more than one of you laugh at my love for the benediction at the end of Hebrews. I'll read that now, just because I love it. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We've lately been in Ephesians, and we've had the same benediction over and over again. We started this at the beginning of January, and here we are, and we've had that same benediction, but... If I leave here this morning and a meteor falls on my head on the way home, if you leave here this morning and are struck by lightning before I see you next, 
I know that at least from a pastoral standpoint, from up here, maybe we say something to one another out in the foyer, but at least from up here, the last words that we've said to each other were something of value, something of worth, particularly coming from the Scriptures. They are of eternal worth and value. And to me, these parting words have great meaning. And if you spend too much time looking at Paul, you will realize his parting words tend to have great meaning for him as well. And that is where we find ourselves this morning. So I'd ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, right at the very end, and we'll look at verses 21 to 24. Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. For me, that is a great goodbye. If those were the last words that the saints in Ephesus ever heard from Paul, those are a good place to end off. And the saints in Ephesus, they are some who would have known Paul better than almost any. He spent a long period of time there. We can read about that in the book of Acts. But we are along with the Ephesians, kind of, as we read this, waving farewell to Paul. And this Tychicus, who was likely the one who bore the letter, was likely reciting this letter to the congregation. He's bringing this final blessing as per the Apostle Paul. And as is Paul's normal... This is not a blessing of health, wealth, and otherwise prosperous dealings, which is typically the way that we tend to think. Praying that things would go well with you, praying that your situations would be resolved, praying that your business ventures would be successful, whatever it might be. But his blessing here concerns things of far greater importance. But before we get to the specific blessing, starting in verse 23, the first thing that Paul gives them as he winds this up is a little bit of news. News of his own state, how things are, what he's been up to, commending this Tychicus to them. I know that some of us are tempted to be news junkies. We spend an inordinate amount of time scrolling through the happenings of the world. Or, for those of us who are old school, flipping through the happenings of the world. I don't, Elk Point doesn't even have a physical newspaper anymore, so not too many of us are flipping through the news. But we're tempted to 
keep abreast of every breaking story and wind of change on the earth. But I mean, if we were to look at Philippians 4 and the command to meditate on whatever is true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, the news is very often not that. If you look at our news, there's very little commendable, honorable, pure, etc. But I am not saying that we should not be aware of what's going on in our world. We can find a happy medium, because when Jesus sent the apostles out to preach the gospel, sent them alone, he sends them out and commands them in Matthew chapter 10, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We have this medium where we need to meditate on the good things and the promises and the many blessings of our Lord, but these apostles were to be wise or shrewd or cunning. And you cannot be wise in regards of what you're getting into. They're being sent to preach the gospel to a place that is going to be hostile to them. They can't be wise about what they're getting into if they don't know what they're getting into. So it is important that we know what is going on in the world around us. And Paul gives them all kinds of news via Tychicus of what's going on in his world. And he gives it to them with a purpose, that you may know how we are and that Tychicus may encourage your hearts. This bearing of news, especially of Paul's news, shouldn't surprise us either because Paul had just finished asking this church in Ephesus and this letter likely circulated around the area, so the surrounding churches as well, asked them for prayer. Pray also for me. Gives them a prayer, but then also gives them all sorts of news. That kind of is cannon fodder for them praying for him. I think that is a good way to mediate our news intake. I think our first focus as far as the news of the world goes, shouldn't necessarily be about the news in Moscow or Beijing or on the other side of the globe, but we should be well acquainted with the news of the, sta- news of the saints. We should be well acquainted with our own home church family. What is the news in Elk Point Baptist Church of how our people are doing, how our brothers and sisters here are doing? What is the news in the church of Canada, of North America, of the world? And we should be well acquainted with that news. We should be well aware of how our brothers and sisters here are doing, how our persecuted brothers and sisters here and around the world are doing. And then with the remaining leftovers, be also aware of what's going on in the world at large that we can know how we might engage it for the good of the gospel. We ought to know one another, that we might know how one another are doing, and that our hearts might be mutually encouraged. So Paul ends this letter with some news. This is how I'm doing. And then he gives his final blessing. We are well familiar with by now. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Peace, love with faith, and grace. And something interesting as we look at this, peace, love with faith, and grace, we can recognize that if we are to be counted among the brothers, if this, the audience of this letter are indeed the saints, if we are the ones who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible, then in a real sense, we already have all of these things. We already have peace. We already have love with faith. We already have grace. So why does Paul bother to bless them with these things if they already have them in the Lord? I'd like to take a look at each of these gifts about how we have received them and yet how we should rightly desire to be granted them at the same time. The first, peace be to the brothers. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Jesus says to his followers in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If you have an ESV study Bible, the notes on John 14, 27 was interesting to me. It reminded me that peace to this audience was more than just kind of our current understanding of peace. For us, peace is just kind of the absence of conflict. When we pray for peace in the Middle East, we're just asking that the fighting would stop. But peace is much more than just not fighting. Any one of you who is married or has ever seen a marriage in action knows that's true. Peace is much more than just not fighting. Because you've been in your house where you've been not fighting, but there's no peace happening. It's not just an absence of conflict and turmoil, but a notion of positive blessing, a positive connection with the Lord, specifically a right relationship with Him. When talking about the world outside of Christ, Paul often called them Gentiles, and he called these Gentile Christians, you were Gentiles, but now you're not Gentiles, even though you're technically Gentiles. But speaking of this world outside of Christ, he says that these Gentiles are alienated. And that word alienated would serve as a great antonym of the peace that he's referring to in our passage. And to be alienated is not just simply to drift away or become unfamiliar with. This is not the, I haven't talked to my friend in five years, but I know if I talk to them again, we would spark things right back up and kind of go right back to where we left off. Alienation here, like that word itself is normally a noun. It's just a state. It's we are alienated, we are separated from. But in Paul's language, he's using it as a verb, an active word. It is not a simple state, but an active effect. You are alienated in that you are 
alienated. You are pushed away. You are cut off. You are separated from God. They have been alienated. They are being alienated, these Gentiles who are outside of the faith. And he states as much in Ephesians chapter 2. Starting at verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace. So why would Paul bless them if, as he's already stated, that they have peace? Why would he bless them with peace if they are already at peace with God? If we, who have trusted in Christ, why would we need peace? This peace is accomplished in Christ because the offense, the sin that had separated us from God was resolved in Christ's perfect sacrifice. Why would we then need peace if Christ has already made peace? Because while we do have peace with God, if we have confessed Christ as our Lord and Savior, the realities of that peace are still very much being worked out in our lives. And nowhere is that more noticeable than in the church. We are not perfectly in relationship to one another. Even here, even in this little microcosm of the church, there is still not perfect peace between all of us. We have people we get along with better and get along with less, people who rub us the right, who rub us the wrong way. And that's even just here. You put two very similar believing churches and you put them next door to each other and just tell them to get along. They will find something to argue about and be bothered with each other about, even if it's just the way one mows their lawn differently. We find ways as humans to avoid peace. We find ways even as believers to avoid peace. We have been given peace. We are at peace with God. But His peace is not yet fully fledged in our lives. This peace is all throughout Ephesians, particularly the unity of the body of faith. Ephesians 4.3, he says, He wants these believers to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And the reason for this bond of peace is the accomplished reconciliation found in the blood of Jesus. One body, one spirit. I think part of this comes back to an idea of institutionalization. Many of us would be familiar with that in regards to the, the prison system. People who go into the prison system, get so dependent on the prison system, and then are sent back out into the world and... Oftentimes, they're back out in the world. They now have the freedom that they've been looking forward to for so long, and they don't like it. They're not used to it. And many of them will often reoffend because they're dependent upon the prison system that they just came out of. This is not the same structure I'm used to. So, 
I don't want to go back to what I'm used to. And Paul warns his audience very clearly about not going back to what they're used to. Same kind of issue attends the sufferers of PTSD who are coming back from combat situations. They become so engrossed in and surrounded by these horrific situations, they've lived in combat and conflict so long they've become acclimatized to it, that peace now is unfamiliar to them. It is uncomfortable. They aren't able to relax because they don't feel like they can. And it even is sometimes unwelcome. I just want to go back to where everything makes sense and I have a purpose and there's a conflict to be solved. And sometimes the peace we have with God can be like this. We were born and we lived as enemies of God, children of wrath, sons of disobedience. That is our natural state. That is what we are used to. And when we finally have peace with God, when we're freed from the prison of sin and we finally step out of combat into the peace that sounds so good to us, we don't know what to do with it. We can be unfamiliar with it and uncomfortable with it, so we make conflict of our own. So Paul regularly, not just in this letter, gives them this blessing of peace. Peace is included in most of his benedictions in his letters. But he's asking that God would help these believers who have peace, these Christians, that they would know the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So you have peace now. So know peace. Put on peace. Be at peace both with God and with your fellow saints. They have peace, but they also desperately need it. The second and third elements of this blessing are inescapably linked, love with faith, love and faith. And this blessing is a great summation of most of the rest of Ephesians here. Ephesians 1.15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Love and faith. And this intertwining of love and faith in the same breath is repeated in Colossians 1.4, Philemon 1.5, Galatians 5.6, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, and many other references. It's obviously that these, these go together for some reason, and they have become a dear topic for Paul. But we know that we as believers have love. Paul blesses them that they would have love with faith. But we have love. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.16 So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We have love if we are in Christ. 
because we are found in Christ, His righteousness our covering, and His blood our redemption, the love of God the Father is upon us. No longer are we called sons of disobedience or children of wrath, but we are called children, adopted and welcomed with full privileges into the family of the Most High God. And it is precisely because we have this love, because it has been displayed by God to us, that Paul brings this blessing of love with faith to the brothers and sisters in Ephesus. Remember the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples in John 13? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The disciples were disciples by virtue of the choosing of Christ and their faith in him. That they would leave their nets, that they would leave their families behind and follow the one who had called them. They had faith. And as a key defining mark of their faith, they had been shown this incredible love and as such were to display that love to one another, the brothers, as Christ had shown to them. Love and faith go hand in hand. If we have faith that God has loved us, when we read John 3.16 and 17, which goes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If we have faith that God has loved us, when we read that, if we actually believe that this is talking about us, then we must love. We must love the one who has loved us in this way, and we must love the one that he has loved. Love and faith are ours in Christ. God's love, the faith that he gives us. And yet, we are called to love. We need love. We are called to be faithful. We need growth in faith. And finally, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I know we've spent eight months on this six-chapter letter, but it's only six chapters. It's not a long, drawn-out publication here. But that word grace in our six chapters is repeated 12 times in 12 different passages. Right at the last verse, right in the second verse of the letter and all throughout. And it's used two different ways, this grace. In chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So there are two ways that grace is referenced in this book. Here, God's grace is being exercised unto salvation for those who believe. That we would be saved is entirely dependent upon the grace, the unmerited kindness or favor of God. We can't earn it. We can't earn our own salvation. None but Christ has ever deserved the grace of God. And yet in the gospel, he has shown us his totally unmerited favor as an act of divine kindness upon his people. So that's the first sense in which grace is used in this letter. Second sense, it's intimately connected with the first. Those who have received the gift of God's grace in salvation... They then receive God's grace again in a different way. According to chapter 4, we are told each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have received grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. By grace we have been saved. If we are in Christ, past tense, we have received grace. Grace is ours. By grace, through faith, both given to us by God, we have received our salvation, eternal salvation, all sin, past, present, and future, forgiven in Christ, a never-ending inheritance with the saints. And yet, in this day, we find ourselves daily dependent upon the grace that God provides. In Hebrews 4, we're told to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the times of need. When speaking to God of the thorn in his flesh, we are told that Paul said, or God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace to his people is the power and strength that we have in this life. It is by grace that we have an inheritance awaiting us in the life to come. So there's two ways that we have grace in this letter. God shows his grace to us by saving us, and then he gives us the grace to continue forward. In Hebrews, when it talks about us persevering unto the end, our perseverance is an active effect of God's grace. We have been given grace, and then we have the continued push of grace carrying us to the end. Peace, love with faith, 
and grace. This benediction is so much more than just the end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the surrounding area. It's more than just the end of a letter. When we come to our sermons on Sundays, sometimes we can get excited when we hear that there's a benediction coming because we know that that benediction is a transition from the pulpit to the foyer. Our kids have been going wild. Maybe it's hot. Maybe it's cold. Maybe we're uncomfortable. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we're hungry. But the benediction at the end of a sermon is more than just words to kind of smooth the transition out into the foyer. It's more than just kind of the awkward, all right, I'm done my conversation, so I'm going to go now. That benediction is more than that. It follows the model that Paul had in these epistles, and that follows the model found in the Old Testament blessings. And that's why we read from the Aaronic blessing in Numbers. Whether it's the high priest, Aaron, or the prophets throughout the Old Testament, or the writers of the New Testament, the apostles, the modern-day preacher, this benediction is more than just a smooth transition into whatever you're doing next. It is both pronouncing and asking the blessing of God upon his people. And this benediction follows Paul's heartbeat in Ephesians. He's taken just throughout Ephesians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And later, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Later, be imitators of God as beloved children. And here as we close, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. We have all of those things. This is a letter to the saints. We have peace, love, faith, grace. Praise God that we have those things. For without those things, we are totally lost and adrift. We have no communion with God without those things. And those all come from God, and we can be thankful for them. But that doesn't mean we had them, we got them, now to move on to bigger and better things. We have them, we got them, and we need them more and more and more every passing day. Because that moment when you came to faith, where you desperately needed the peace with God, where you desperately needed the love of God and the faith required to love God, when you desperately needed God's grace and you just hit your knees and said, God, I am yours. Maybe that was in crisis. Maybe that was in a high moment in your spiritual life. But I promise you that was not and will not be the hardest moment of your spiritual walk. Because that moment 
where everything crystallized and became clear, where the Spirit opened your eyes and you saw the promises that were sitting before you, that was a great moment. But things didn't just smoothly sail from there. You didn't put on rose-colored glasses and carry on. There are still trials. There are still hardships. There are still things that are beyond anything we feel like we should ever have to face. And in those moments, you desperately need peace. And if you left the peace of God at your conversion, you desperately need love with faith. If you left that at your conversion, you desperately need grace. If you left that at your conversion, when you come to those crisis moments, whether it be positive or negative crisis moments, and you aren't actively immersed in and depending upon these things, what strength do you have to face the trials of this world? You don't. So praise God we have peace, love with faith, and grace. And praise God that he continues to provide his peace. He continues to provide his love. He continues to give us faith. He continues to show us his grace as we continue this walk in this life of faith. As I was closing, I read a devotional thought from Dr. Stephen Baugh. He said, I challenge you to see the concluding benediction as the crown jewel of our corporate worship with the Lord every week. Its origin at the end of the worship service is the apostolic benedictions at the end of the epistles. Its meaning goes back to the Israelite high priest's solemn covenant function to put God's name on his people so that he can bless them. The benediction in our service is not a pious wish of the minister. What makes it so special is what God is doing. He puts his name on us and blesses us with his smile and with his peace. A lot of times it can feel like a benediction is me standing up here and just saying, just wishing real hard that you all would have whatever this blessing is. And just, God, please give it to them. And there's an element where I pray desperately that you would have these things. But the reason why these benedictions come from here and not just from whatever I can come up with, things that I would wish for you, is that it's not about what I would wish. It's not about what I think you deserve. It's about what God has promised and what God has given his people. So I hope as we've gone through Ephesians, and as we have come to this final benediction this morning, I hope you have heard what God has done past tense, accomplished on behalf of his people. And I hope that your eyes are turned to what he is doing, present tense, currently, for his people, and what he has promised he will do for his people now and into eternity. What an incredible blessing we have. Would you join with me in prayer? And after a closing song, 
Hopefully we will hear again with new ears God's benediction for his people, the saints, in the closing of the words of Ephesians. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning utterly dependent upon you. You have given us peace and love and faith and grace. And yet daily, moment by moment, we need peace, love with faith and grace. Whether we see it or not. And Lord, I pray that we would see it. I pray that you would open our eyes to see our desperate need for peace that we would see our desperate need for your love, the faith that you provide for your grace. And that we would not for a second rely on what we can muster, even what we can muster based on a past tense dealing with you. You don't just save us and turn us loose to our own devices and in our own strength, but Lord, you have saved us and you have maintained us every step of the way. And Lord, so many of our calamities have come when we have attempted to step out in our own strength. And Lord, in this season of transitions, People going off to school, back to school, back into activities, busyness with family, whatever it might be. We more than ever need to maintain our focus upon who you were, who you are, who you will be, for you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, Lord. You have provided for us and you will continue to provide for us and we pray that we would depend upon that and we would revel in that and we would make that the focus of our lives, not anything else. So Lord, I pray for your church here at Elk Point Baptist Church. I pray for the many families that are tied to this one. that we would be excited to preach to all who would hear it the peace, the love with faith, and the grace that can only be found in you. For there is none of these things to be found in any real measure in our world. Lord, we commit each one here into your care. We thank you that you have brought us and that you have given us your word that we might be instructed and built up in the faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.